chapter fourteen of my bondage and my freedom by frederick douglas this librivox recording is in the public domain experience in st michael's the village its inhabitants their occupation and low propensities captain thomas ald his character his second wife rowena well matched sufferings from hunger obliged to take food mode of argument in vindication thereof no moral code of free society can apply to slave society southern camp meeting what master thomas did there hopes suspicions about his conversion the result faith and works entirely at variance his rise and progress in the church poor cousin henny his treatment of her the methodist preachers their utter disregard of us one excellent exception rev george cookman sabbath school how broken up and by whom a funeral pall cast over all my prospects covey the negro breaker st michael's the village in which was now my new home compared favorably with villages in slave states generally there were a few comfortable dwellings in it but the place as a whole wore a dull slovenly enterprise forsaken aspect the mass of the buildings were of wood they had never enjoyed the artificial adornment of paint and time and storms had worn off the bright color of the wood leaving them almost as black as buildings charred by a conflagration st michael's had in former years previous to eighteen thirty three for that was the year i went to reside there enjoyed some reputation as a shipbuilding community but that business had almost entirely given place to oyster fishing for the baltimore and philadelphia markets a course of life highly unfavorable to morals industry and manners miles river was broad and its oyster fishing grounds were extensive and the fishermen were out often all day and a part of the night during autumn winter and spring this exposure was an excuse for carrying with them in considerable quantities spiritous liquors the then supposed best antidote for cold each canoe was supplied with its jug of rum and tippling among this class of the citizens of st michael's became general this drinking habit in an ignorant population fostered coarseness vulgarity and an indolent disregard for the social improvement of the place so that it was admitted by the few sober-thinking people who remained there that st michael's had become a very unsaintly as well as an unsightly place before i went there to reside i left baltimore or st michael's in the month of march eighteen thirty three i know the year because it was the one succeeding the first cholera in baltimore and was the year also of that strange phenomenon when the heavens seemed about to part with its starry train i witnessed this gorgeous spectacle and was awestruck the air seemed filled with bright descending messengers from the sky it was about daybreak when i saw this sublime scene 
i was not without the suggestion at the moment that it might be the harbinger of the coming of the son of man and in my then state of mind i was prepared to hail him as my friend and deliverer i had read that the stars shall fall from heaven and they were now falling i was suffering much in my mind it did seem that every time the young tendrils of my affection became attached they were rudely broken by some unnatural outside power and i was beginning to look away to heaven for the rest denied me on earth but to my story it was now more than seven years since i had lived with master thomas auld in the family of my old master on colonel lloyd's plantation we were almost entire strangers to each other for when i knew him at the house of my old master it was not as a master but simply as captain auld who had married old master's daughter all my lessons concerning his temper and disposition and the best methods of pleasing him were yet to be learnt slaveholders however are not very ceremonious in approaching a slave and my ignorance of the new material in the shape of a master was but transient nor was my new mistress long in making known her animus she was not a miss lucretia traces of whom i yet remembered and the more especially as i saw them shining in the face of little amanda her daughter now living under a stepmother's government i had not forgotten the soft hand guided by a tender heart that bound up with healing balsam the gash made in my head by ike the son of abel thomas and rowena i found to be a well-matched pair he was stingy and she was cruel and what was quite natural in such cases she possessed the ability to make him as cruel as herself while she could easily descend to the level of his meanness in the house of master thomas i was made for the first time in seven years to feel the pinchings of hunger and this was not very easy to bear for in all the changes of master hugh's family there was no change in the bountifulness with which they supplied me with food not to give a slave enough to eat is meanness intensified and it is so recognized among slaveholders generally in maryland the rule is no matter how coarse the food only let there be enough of it this is the theory and in the part of maryland i came from the general practice accords with this theory lloyd's plantation was an exception as was also the house of master thomas auld all know the lightness of indian cornmeal as an article of food and can easily judge from the following facts whether the statements i have made of the stinginess of master thomas are borne out there were four slaves of us in the kitchen and four whites in the great house thomas auld mrs auld hadaway auld brother of thomas auld and little amanda the names of the slaves in the kitchen were eliza my sister priscilla my aunt henny my cousin and myself there were eight persons in the family there was each week one half bushel of cornmeal brought from the mill and in the kitchen cornmeal was almost our exclusive food for very little else was allowed us out of this half bushel of cornmeal the family in the great house had a small loaf every morning thus leaving us in the kitchen with not quite a half a peck of meal per week apiece 
this allowance was less than half the allowance of food on lloyd's plantation it was not enough to subsist upon and we were therefore reduced to the wretched necessity of living at the expense of our neighbours we were compelled either to beg or to steal and we did both i frankly confess that while i hated everything like stealing as such i nevertheless did not hesitate to take food when i was hungry wherever i could find it nor was this practice the mere result of an unreasoning instinct it was in my case the result of a clear apprehension of the claims of morality i weighed and considered the matter closely before i ventured to satisfy my hunger by such means considering that my labour and person were the property of master thomas and that i was by him deprived of the necessaries of life necessaries obtained by my own labour it was easy to deduce the right to supply myself with what was my own it was simply appropriating what was my own to the use of my master since the health and strength derived from such food were exerted in his service to be sure this was stealing according to the law and gospel i heard from st michael's pulpit but i had already begun to attach less importance to what dropped from that quarter on that point while as yet i retained my reverence for religion it was not always convenient to steal from master and the same reason why i might innocently steal from him did not seem to justify me in stealing from others in the case of my master it was only a question of removal the taking his meat out of one tub and putting it into another the ownership of the meat was not affected by the transaction at first he owned it in the tub and last he owned it in me his meat-house was not always open there was a strict watch kept on that point and the key was on a large bunch in rowena's pocket a great many times have we poor creatures been severely pinched with hunger when meat and bread have been moulding under the lock while the key was in the pocket of our mistress this had been so when she knew we were nearly half starved and yet that mistress with saintly air would kneel with her husband and pray each morning that a merciful god would bless them in basket and in store and save them at last in his kingdom but i proceed with the argument it was necessary that the right to steal from others should be established and this could only rest upon a wider range of generalization than that which supposed the right to steal from my master it was some time before i arrived at this clear right the reader will get some idea of my train of reasoning by a brief statement of the case i am thought i not only the slave of master thomas but i am the slave of society at large society at large has bound itself in form and in fact to assist master thomas in robbing me of my rightful liberty and of the just reward of my labour therefore whatever rights i have against master thomas i have equally against those confederated with him in robbing me of liberty as society has marked me out as privileged plunder on the principle of self-preservation i am justified in plundering in turn 
since each slave belongs to all all must therefore belong to each i shall here make a profession of faith which may shock some offend others and be dissented from by all it is this within the bounds of his just earnings i hold that the slave is fully justified in helping himself to the gold and silver and the best apparel of his master or that of any other slaveholder and that such taking is not stealing in any just sense of that word the morality of free society can have no application to slave society slaveholders have made it almost impossible for the slave to commit any crime known either to the laws of god or to the laws of man if he steals he takes his own if he kills his master he imitates only the heroes of the revolution slaveholders i hold to be individually and collectively responsible for all the evils which grow out of the horrid relation and i believe they will be so held at the judgment in the sight of a just god make a man a slave and you rob him of moral responsibility freedom of choice is the essence of all accountability but my kind readers are probably less concerned about my opinions than about that which more nearly touches my personal experience albeit my opinions have in some sort been formed by that experience bad as slaveholders are i have seldom met with one so entirely destitute of every element of character capable of inspiring respect as was my present master captain thomas auld when i lived with him i thought him incapable of a noble action the leading trait in his character was intense selfishness i think he was fully aware of this fact himself and often tried to conceal it captain auld was not a born slaveholder not a birthright member of the slaveholding oligarchy he was only a slaveholder by marriage right and of all slaveholders these latter are by far the most exacting there was in him all the love of domination the pride of mastery and the swagger of authority but his rule lacked the vital element of consistency he could be cruel but his methods of showing it were cowardly and evinced his meanness rather than his spirit his commands were strong his enforcement weak slaves are not insensible to the whole souled characteristics of a generous dashing slaveholder who is fearless of consequences and they prefer a master of this bold and daring kind even with the risk of being shot down for impudence to the fretful little soul who never uses the lash but at the suggestion of a love of gain slaves too readily distinguish between the birthright bearing of the original slaveholder and the assumed attitudes of the accidental slaveholder and while they cannot respect either they certainly despise the latter more than the former the luxury of having slaves wait upon him was something new to master thomas and for it he was wholly unprepared he was a slaveholder without the ability to hold or manage his slaves we seldom called him master but generally addressed him by his baycraft title captain auld it is easy to see that such conduct might do much to make him appear awkward and consequently fretful 
his wife was especially solicitous to have us call her husband master is your master at the store where is your master go and tell your master i will make your master acquainted with your conduct she would say but we were in apt scholars especially were i and my sister eliza in apt in this particular aunt priscilla was less stubborn and defiant in her spirit than eliza and myself and i think her road was less rough than ours in the month of august eighteen thirty three when i had almost become desperate under the treatment of master thomas and when i entertained more strongly than ever the oft-repeated determination to run away a circumstance occurred which seemed to promise brighter and better days for us all at a methodist camp meeting held in the bayside a famous place for camp meetings about eight miles from st michael's master thomas came out with a profession of religion he had long been an object of interest to the church and to the ministers as i had seen by the repeated visits and lengthy exhortations of the latter he was a fish quite worth catching for he had money and standing in the community of st michael's he was equal to the best citizen he was strictly temperate perhaps from principle but most likely from interest there was very little to do for him to give him the appearance of piety and to make him a pillar in the church well the camp meeting continued a week people gathered from all parts of the county and two steamboat loads came from baltimore the ground was happily chosen seats were arranged a stand erected a rude altar fenced in fronting the preacher's stand with straw in it for the accommodation of mourners this latter would hold at least one hundred persons in front and on the sides of the preacher's stand and outside the long rows of seats rose the first class of stately tents each vying with the other in strength neatness and capacity for accommodating its inmates behind this first circle of tents was another less imposing which reached round the campground to the speaker's stand outside this second class of tents were covered wagons ox-carts and vehicles of every shape and size these served as tents to their owners outside of these huge fires were burning in all directions where roasting and boiling and frying were going on for the benefit of those who were attending to their own spiritual welfare within the circle behind the preacher's stand a narrow space was marked out for the use of the colored people there were no seats provided for this class of persons the preachers addressed them over the left if they addressed them at all after the preaching was over at every service an invitation was given to mourners to come into the pen and in some cases ministers went out to persuade men and women to come in by one of these ministers master thomas ald was persuaded to go inside the pen i was deeply interested in that matter and followed and though colored people were not allowed either in the pen or in front of the preacher's stand i ventured to take my stand at a sort of half-way place between the blacks and whites where i could distinctly see the movements of mourners and especially the progress of master thomas if he has got religion thought i he will 
emancipate his slaves and if he should not do so much as this he will at any rate behave toward us more kindly and feed us more generously than he has heretofore done appealing to my own religious experience and judging my master by what was true in my own case i could not regard him as soundly converted unless some such good results followed his profession of religion but in my expectations i was doubly disappointed master thomas was master thomas still the fruits of his righteousness were to show themselves in no such way as i had anticipated his conversion was not to change his relation toward men at any rate not toward black men but toward god my faith i confess was not great there was something in his appearance that in my mind cast a doubt over his conversion standing where i did i could see his every movement i watched very narrowly while he remained in the little pen and although i saw that his face was extremely red and his hair dishevelled and though i heard him groan and saw a stray tear halting on his cheek as if inquiring which way shall i go i could not wholly confide in the genuineness of his conversion the hesitating behaviour of that teardrop and its loneliness distressed me and cast a doubt upon the whole transaction of which it was a part but people said captain ald had come through and it was for me to hope for the best i was bound to do this in charity for i too was religious and had been in the church full three years although now i was not more than sixteen years old slaveholders may sometimes have confidence in the piety of some of their slaves but the slaves seldom have confidence in the piety of their masters he can't go to heaven with our blood in his skirts is a settled point in the creed of every slave rising superior to all teaching to the contrary and standing forever as a fixed fact the highest evidence the slaveholder can give the slave of his acceptance with god is the emancipation of his slaves this is proof that he is willing to give up all to god and for the sake of god not to do this was in my estimation and in the opinion of all the slaves an evidence of half-heartedness and wholly inconsistent with the idea of genuine conversion i had read also somewhere in the methodist discipline the following question and answer question what shall be done for the extirpation of slavery answer we declare that we are as much as ever convinced of the great evil of slavery therefore no slaveholder shall be eligible to any official station in our church these words sounded in my ears for a long time and encouraged me to hope but as i have before said i was doomed to disappointment master thomas seemed to be aware of my hopes and expectations concerning him i have thought before now that he looked at me in answer to my glances as much as to say i will teach you young man that though i have parted with my sins i have not parted with my sense i shall hold my slaves and go to heaven too possibly to convince us that we must not presume too much upon his recent conversion he became rather more rigid and stringent in his exactions 
there always was a scarcity of good nature about the man but now his whole countenance was soured over with the seemings of piety his religion therefore neither made him emancipate his slaves nor caused him to treat them with greater humanity if religion had any effect on his character at all it made him more cruel and hateful in all his ways the natural wickedness of his heart had not been removed but only reinforced by the profession of religion do i judge him harshly god forbid facts are facts captain auld made the greatest profession of piety his house was literally a house of prayer in the morning and in the evening loud prayers and hymns were heard there in which both himself and his wife joined yet no more meal was brought from the mill no more attention was paid to the moral welfare of the kitchen and nothing was done to make us feel that the heart of master thomas was one whit better than it was before he went into the little pen opposite to the preacher's stand on the camp ground our hopes founded on the discipline soon vanished for the authorities let him into the church at once and before he was out of his term of probation i heard of his leading class he distinguished himself greatly among the brethren and was soon an exhorter his progress was almost as rapid as the growth of the fabled vine of jack's bean no man was more active than he in revivals he would go many miles to assist in carrying them on and in getting outsiders interested in religion his house being one of the holiest if not the happiest in st michael's became the preacher's home these preachers evidently liked to share master thomas's hospitality for while he starved us he stuffed them three or four of these ambassadors of the gospel according to slavery have been there at a time all living on the fat of the land while we in the kitchen were nearly starving not often did we get a smile of recognition from these holy men they seemed almost as unconcerned about our getting to heaven as they were about our getting out of slavery to this general charge there was one exception the rev george cookman unlike rev messrs storks ury hickey humphrey and cooper all whom were on the st michael's circuit he kindly took an interest in our temporal and spiritual welfare our souls and our bodies were all alike sacred in his sight and he really had a good deal of genuine anti-slavery feeling mingled with his colonization ideas there was not a slave in our neighborhood that did not love and almost venerate mr cookman it was pretty generally believed that he had been chiefly instrumental in bringing one of the largest slaveholders mr samuel harrison in that neighborhood to emancipate all his slaves and indeed the general impression was that mr cookman had labored faithfully with slaveholders whenever he met them to induce them to emancipate their bondmen and that he did this as a religious duty when this good man was at our house we were all sure to be called in to prayers in the morning and he was not slow in making inquiries as to the state of our minds nor in giving us a word of exhortation and of encouragement great was the sorrow of all the slaves when this faithful preacher of the gospel was removed from the talbot county circuit 
he was an eloquent preacher and possessed what few ministers south of mason dixon's line possess or dare to show these a warm and philanthropic heart the mr cookman of whom i speak was an englishman by birth and perished while on his way to england on board the ill-fated president could the thousands of slaves in maryland know the fate of the good man to whose words of comfort they were so largely indebted they would thank me for dropping a tear on this page in memory of their favorite preacher friend and benefactor but let me return to master thomas and to my experience after his conversion in baltimore i could occasionally get into a sabbath school among the free children and receive lessons with the rest but having already learned both to read and to write i was more of a teacher than a pupil even there when however i went back to the eastern shore and was at the house of master thomas i was neither allowed to teach nor to be taught the whole community with but a single exception among the whites frowned upon everything like imparting instruction either to slaves or to free colored persons that single exception a pious young man named wilson asked me one day if i would like to assist him in teaching a little sabbath school at the house of a free colored man in st michael's named james mitchell the idea was to me a delightful one and i told him i would gladly devote as much of my sabbaths as i could command to that most laudable work mr wilson soon mustered up a dozen old spelling-books and a few testaments and we commenced operations with some twenty scholars in our sunday school here thought i is something worth living for here is an excellent chance for usefulness and i shall soon have a company of young friends lovers of knowledge like some of my baltimore friends from whom i now felt parted for ever our first sabbath passed delightfully and i spent the week after very joyously i could not go to baltimore but i could make a little baltimore here at our second meeting i learned that there was some objection to the existence of the sabbath school and sure enough we had scarcely got at work good work simply teaching a few colored children how to read the gospel of the son of god when in rushed a mob headed by mr wright fairbanks and mr garrison west two class leaders and master thomas who armed with sticks and other missiles drove us off and commanded us never to meet for such a purpose again one of this pious crew told me that as for my part i wanted to be another nat turner and if i did not look out i should get as many balls into me as nat did into him thus ended the infant sabbath school in the town of st michael's the reader will not be surprised when i say that the breaking up of my sabbath school by these class leaders and professedly holy men did not serve to strengthen my religious convictions the cloud over my st michael's home grew heavier and blacker than ever it was not merely the agency of master thomas in breaking up and destroying my sabbath school that shook my confidence in the power of southern religion to make men wiser or better but i saw in him all the cruelty and meanness after his conversion which he had exhibited before he made a profession of religion his cruelty and meanness were especially displayed in his treatment of my unfortunate cousin henny whose lameness made her a burden to him 
i have no extraordinary personal hard usage toward myself to complain of against him but i have seen him tie up the lame and maimed woman and whip her in a manner most brutal and shocking and then with blood-chilling blasphemy he would quote the passage of scripture that servant which knew his lord's will and prepared not himself neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes master would keep this lacerated woman tied up by her wrists to a bolt in the joist three four and five hours at a time he would tie her up early in the morning whip her with a cowskin before breakfast leave her tied up go to his store and returning to his dinner repeat the castigation laying on the rugged lash on flesh already made raw by repeated blows he seemed desirous to get the poor girl out of existence or at any rate off his hands in proof of this he afterwards gave her away to his sister sarah mrs Cline. but as in the case of master hugh henny was soon returned to his hands finally upon a pretence that he could do nothing with her i use his own words he set her adrift to take care of herself here was a recently converted man holding with tight grasp the well-framed and able-bodied slaves left him by old master the persons who in freedom could have taken care of themselves yet turning loose the only cripple among them virtually to starve and die no doubt had master thomas been asked by some pious northern brother why he continued to sustain the relation of a slaveholder to those whom he retained his answer would have been precisely the same as many other religious slaveholders have returned to that inquiry viz i hold my slaves for their own good bad as my condition was when i lived with master thomas i was soon to experience a life far more goading and bitter the many differences springing up between myself and master thomas owing to the clear perception i had of his character and the boldness with which i defended myself against his capricious complaints led him to declare that i was unsuited to his wants that my city life had affected me perniciously that in fact it had almost ruined me for every good purpose and had fitted me for everything that was bad one of my greatest faults or offences was that of letting his horse get away and go down to the farm belonging to his father-in-law the animal had a liking for that farm with which i fully sympathized whenever i let it out it would go dashing down the road to mr hamilton's as if going on a grand frolic my horse gone of course i must go after it the explanation of our mutual attachment to the place is the same the horse found there good pasturage and i found there plenty of bread mr hamilton had his faults but starving his slaves was not among them he gave food in abundance and that too of an excellent quality in mr hamilton's cook aunt mary i found a most generous and considerate friend she never allowed me to go there without giving me bread enough to make good the deficiencies of a day or two master thomas at last resolved to endure my behaviour no longer he could neither keep me nor his horse we liked so well to be at his father-in-law's farm i had now lived with him nearly nine months and he had given me a number of severe whippings without any visible improvement in my character or my conduct and now he was resolved to put me out as he said to be broken 
there was in the bayside very near the camp-ground where my master got his religious impressions a man named edward covey who enjoyed the execrated reputation of being a first-rate hand at breaking young negroes this covey was a poor man a farm renter and this reputation hateful as it was to the slaves and to all good men was at the same time of immense advantage to him it enabled him to get his farm tilled with very little expense compared with what it would have cost him without this most extraordinary reputation some slaveholders thought it an advantage to let mr covey have the government of their slaves a year or two almost free of charge for the sake of the excellent training such slaves got under his happy management like some horse-breakers noted for their skill who ride the best horses in the country without expense mr covey could have under him the most fiery bloods of the neighbourhood for the simple reward of returning them to their owners well broken added to the natural fitness of mr covey for the duties of his profession he was said to enjoy religion and was as strict in the cultivation of piety as he was in the cultivation of his farm i was made aware of his character by some who had been under his hand and while i could not look forward to going to him with any pleasure i was glad to get away from st michael's i was sure of getting enough to eat at covey's even if i suffered in other respects this to a hungry man is not a prospect to be regarded with indifference End of chapter fourteen